0: Chapter Number Seventeen of Molly Brown's Junior Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Molly Brown's Junior Days by Nell Speed. Chapter Seventeen the wayfarers human beings have been variously compared by imaginative persons to prawns on a chessboard storm-tossed boats on the sea of life pilgrims on a weary way and other things of no resemblance whatever to the foregoing molly marching stoically along the lonely road under the impression that she was on her way to wellington when she was really turned towards exmoor might have fitted into any of those comparisons rather more literally than was intended she was certainly a storm-tossed pilgrim if not a boat the way was decidedly weary and as pawn pilgrim or ship whichever you will she was about to come in contact with another of life's pawns pilgrims or ships to the decided advantage of the one and amazement of the other this new pawn pilgrim or ship was now advancing down the road and molly mindful of the fact that she was not getting anywhere when she felt sure that by this time she should have at least reached the lake was not sorry to see a human being. The stranger looked decidedly like the pilgrim of romance. He wore an old black felt hat with a broad slouching brim and a long Spanish cape reaching below his knees. His staff was a rosewood cane with a silver knob. He was about to pass Molly without even glancing in her direction when she stopped him would you mind telling me if it's very far from wellington she asked i'm afraid i'm lost do you imagine you are going to wellington he demanded looking up instantly molly recognized him he was the man she had seen the night before in professor green's study i did think so she answered meekly i would advise you to go in the opposite direction then he said. Exmoor lies that way. He pointed down the road with his stick. How stupid of me, exclaimed Molly. I was coasting and tumbled off the sled. I was completely dazed, I suppose, when I crawled out of the drift. The two walked along in silence, Molly gave the man a covert glance. He was very distinguished-looking and vaguely reminded her of someone. "'You are one of the students of Wellington?' he asked presently. "'Yes, sir,' answered Molly respectfully. The stranger smiled. "'You are from the South. I never heard a girl across the boundary line "You, sir.' "'I am,' she answered briefly. "'And from what part, may I ask?' from carmichael station kentucky the man stopped as if he had been struck a blow in the face carmichael station kentucky he repeated in a half whisper drawing a leather wallet from his inside pocket he took out a folded legal cap document and opened it ahem not far to go he said in a low voice running down a list with one finger your name brown mildred carmichael brown i presume no mary my sister's name mildred the old man refolded the document put it carefully back in the wallet which he returned to his pocket then he resumed his walk muttering to himself strange strange molly heard him say here in a snowstorm in the wilderness on christmas day too i should happen to meet i can't get away from them he cried angrily waving his cane victims victims everywhere they rise up and confront me when i'm sleeping or waking like ghosts of the past his mutterings gradually became inarticulate as he wrapped his cape around him and stalked through the snow hunted hunted hounded about he began again suddenly he stopped took off his hat and held his face up to heaven as if he were about to address some unseen power i'm tired he cried i've had enough of these wanderings these eternal haunting visions let me have peace he shook his cane impotently at the overcast skies it was then that molly recognized him on that very day but one a year ago had she not seen judith blunt stand under a wintry sky and defy heaven in the same rebellious way judith's father had come back from south america and was hiding in the professor's room at wellington and how like they were the father and daughter the same black eyes too close together the same handsome aquiline noses and the same self-pitying brooding natures evidently mr blunt had suffered deeply molly thought he must be very poor looking at him closely she noticed the shabby gentility of his appearance the shiny seams of his spanish cape which had been torn and patched in many places his old thin shoes split across the toes and his worn travel-stained hat she wondered if he had any money she suspected that he was very hungry and her soul was moved with pity for the poor broken old man who had once been worth millions mr blunt she began how did you know my name he cried shivering all over like a whipped dog i didn't mention it did i i haven't told anyone have i i came down here in disguise he laughed feebly disguised as a broken old man i went to edwin's rooms he wandered on forgetting that he had asked molly a question you know where they are molly nodded her head she knew quite well that professor lodged in one of the former college houses built on the old campus used long ago before the quadrangle had been built flanking the new campus the housekeeper recognized me as a relation and i waited in his room some hours went on the old man in a trembling voice and where did you spend the night in the cloister study i found the key on his desk it was marked cloister study but where did you eat asked molly gently the melting sympathy in her eyes and voice encouraged the old man to pour out his woes. Evidently, it was a great relief to him to talk after his miseries and hardships. "'I've been living off apples,' he said. "'Very fine apples. They were." There was a basket of them on Edwin's study table. But there's an inn in the village.' she exclaimed he smiled grimly i have come all the way from caracas to wellington he said i was poor when i started yes miserably wretchedly poor i am an old man old and broken i want peace do you understand peace they had reached the lake and in fifteen minutes would arrive at the quadrangle mr blunt was leading the way occasionally hitting the ground savagely with his cane molly thrust her hand into her blouse and drew out a chamois skin bag which hung by a silk tape around her neck since the pilfering had been going on at wellington she carried what little money she had with her during the day and hid it under her pillow at night extracting ten dollars from the bag she hurried to the old man's side and touched him on the shoulder mr blunt i'm under great obligations to your cousin he has been very kind to me always and i'd like you to i'd it was difficult to know what to say was it not strange for her a poor little school girl to be offering money to a man who had so recently been a millionaire. "'Won't you take this money?' she began again, resolutely. "'I don't think anyone will recognize you at the inn. "'It's just a little country place, "'and you will be quite comfortable there "'until I find Professor Green. "'I may get word to him tonight, "'or tomorrow, at any rate.' "'Mr. Blunt,' eyed the money as a hungry dog eyes a bone evidently hunger and fatigue had gotten the better of his pride he took the bill and touched it lovingly then he put it in his pocket you're a nice girl he said i thank you would you like to see george green asked molly timidly no 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 he answered fiercely not that young fool i don't suppose judith is here he added presently in a tremendous voice no sir she is in new york for the holidays they shook hands and separated mr blunt took the path down the other side of the lake across the links to the village and molly followed the path on the college side as she cut through the pine woods she heard a shout molly brown where have you been we have had a search for you cried judy rushing up followed by the three boys i reckon i've been a good deal like the pig who thought he was going to cork when he was really going to dublin laughed molly if i hadn't asked the way i suppose i'd been almost to exmoor by this time I am a poor person to find my way about. My brother used to tell me to take the direction opposite to the one my instincts told me to take, and then I'd be going right. In other words, first make sure you're right, then take the other way, said Lawrence Upton, laughing. You'd make a good explorer, Miss Molly, remarked Andy McLean you might discover the South Pole and think all the time it was the North Pole. That would be of great benefit to humanity, answered Molly, but you may be sure I'd stop and ask a policeman before I reached the equator. It's your proper punishment for cutting church this morning. Here, put in George Green." i don't know whether it was because it was a good excuse to go sleighing, but a lot of people were at the ten service even old edwin came in the trail of alice fern what a pretty name said molly it sounds so woodsy she's a cousin george went on and a winner too they've got a jim dandy place ten miles the other side of wellington fern grove we spent last years with them and had a crackerjack time george theodore green ejaculated judy i never heard so much slang i wonder you are allowed inside exmoor oh i cut it out there i only use it when it's safe i regard that a slight on present company broke in andy I think you just have to take a little dose of punishment for that, Dodo. Get busy, Larry. There was a wild scramble in the snow, and finally Dodo, who had developed into a big strapping fellow, stronger than either of his friends, entrenched himself behind a tree and began throwing snowballs with the unerring aim of the best pitcher on the Axmore team molly hastened on to the quadrangle while judy with true sportsman taste waited to see the fun molly went straight to the telephone booths in the basement corridor by good fortune the haughty being who presided at the switchboard was hovering about waiting for a long-distance call from a certain party in new york That she alone in all the world was concerned in this call, and that she wished to have this corner of the globe entirely to herself for the full enjoyment of it, were very evident facts when Molly asked for Fern 16 Wellington. I'm not working today, announced the operator shortly, arranging her huge psych knot at the mirror beside her desk molly looked into the girl's implacable face no feminine appeal would melt that heart of stone but perhaps the magic name of a man might fix her would you do it to oblige professor green i have an important message for him i guess that's different announced the owner of the psych knot with a high nasal accent why didn't you say so at first i guess professor green is about the nicest gentleman around here sitting down at the switchboard she slipped on the headpiece with a professional flourish then with a hand then quicker than eye movement she pushed several organ stops up and down struck the end of a green tube into a hole and remarked in a high-pitched voice that had great projective powers wellington exchange hello yes i know it's christmas on hand for a long distance are you oh you well say listen to oblige a certain party a very attractive gentleman call up fern sixteen wellington then there was a detached monologue about a certain party in you-know-where same gentleman that was down thanksgiving time suddenly with professional alertness the telephone girl stopped short fern sixteen wellington here's your party booth three she added to molly in a voice so radically different that molly had a confused feeling that the young person who operated the Wellington switchboard, might be a creature of two personalities. She retired timidly to the booth. Is this the residence of Miss Alice Fern? She asked. It is, came the voice of a woman from the other end. I would like to speak to Professor Edwin Green. He is very much engaged just now. Is it important? I think it is, hesitated Molly. What name? Now, what earthly difference does it make to her what my name is? Molly reflected with some irritation. Would you please tell him it's a message from the university? I'll tell him nothing until you tell me your name. Could this be Miss Alice Fern? Molly was fairly certain it was. Perhaps she also had two personalities it doesn't do any good to tell my name i have nothing to do with the message i'm only delivering it for someone else but if you want to know it's brown mrs or miss brown suddenly molly heard the professor's voice quite close to the telephone saying alice is that someone for me yes an individual of the illuminating name of brown wishes to speak to you. I don't see why they can't leave you alone for one day in the year. Molly smiled. Why was it that deep down in the unexplored caverns of her soul there looked an infinitesimally tiny feeling of relief that Miss Alice Fern was plainly a vixen? How do you do, Professor Green? This is Molly Brown." how do you do is anything the matter answered the professor in rather an anxious tone i wanted to tell you that mr blunt is here old mr blunt the professor seemed too surprised to answer for a moment or it might have been that miss alice fern was lingering at his elbow and embarrassed him where he asked he spent the last night in the cloister study now he's at the inn he asked me to let you know i met him on the road he's very unhappy how did he happen to be in the study he he had no money and now he's at the inn has he seen anyone but you no molly blushed hotly i'll come right over thank you very much now edwin what a nuisance broke in the voice of miss fern good-bye thank you again i really must alice very import. the receiver had been hung up and the connection lost oh these cousins molly reflected with a laugh as she hurried up to her room there was a gay party at the mclean's that night and one unexpected guest arrived just before dinner it was professor green they squeezed him in somehow at the end of the table with the doctor and the two made merry together like schoolboys molly had never seen the professor of english literature in such joyous spirits after dinner when the dancing commenced he sought her out and led her to a secluded sofa in the back hall. She began at once by asking about Mr. Blunt, but the professor was not listening. "'That's one of the prettiest dresses I've seen you wear,' he interrupted. "'Yellow is not becoming to most people, but it is to you, probably because it has the same golden quality that's in your hair.' "'I'm glad you'd like it,' said Molly, turning red under his steady gaze. "'I found your note on my study floor,' he went on. "'I was afraid you wouldn't remember what I was talking about after all,' she exclaimed. "'But I had to write it. I have never really been happy since I said that cruel thing to you. I was so wretched the day afterward.' and when i rushed to find you in your study you were gone she broke off with a tearful glance into his eyes the professor beamed upon her so you were unhappy he said as if the statement was not entirely unpleasing oh yes i know now that you were quite right to tell miss walker about that silly episode of the burying of the slipper but i never told her i know the story of course and the explanation the president told me herself but who did tell then that i can't say it was now molly's turn to beam on the professor i am glad you didn't tell her she exclaimed in tones of great relief you see you didn't inform on judith blunt that time and i was hurt i couldn't help from being i was really awfully sore my dear child said the professor hurriedly promise hereafter to regard me as a faithful friend never doubt my sincerity again i promise answered molly feeling intensely proud without knowing why then the talk drifted to mr blunt and you haven't mentioned meeting him he asked not even to miss keene molly shook her head you are a very unusual woman miss brown it's important to keep mr blunt's presence here a secret if word got out that he had come back there would be a great hue and cry in the papers i have him with me now at my rooms until richard gets here the family will be very grateful to you for your kindness to him Lawrence upton was coming down the hall to claim molly for a dance are you going back to the ferns tomorrow she asked hurriedly i think not answered the professor with a ghost of a smile i am detained here on business the next morning molly received a short note from professor green enclosing a ten-dollar bill. There was a postscript which said, I've opened a barrel of greenings better come round and get some. End of chapter seventeen recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.